Well, good morning, church. Grateful to be with you here at another online service. Um, we last week began a new series that we're calling Doctrine, where we're looking at just the the narrative of Scripture, and we're seeing um, the precious doctrines or the nature and the character of who God is through our entire Bible. And so last week we looked at the most one of the most foundational truths in the scriptures is that our God is a Trinitarian God. And so we're excited to be journeying through this together. Um, last week was our first Sunday back in a while in our, in a live worship service, and it was uh, so wonderful to worship with each one of you. Um, if you didn't have the chance to join us and you feel comfortable joining us, uh, live uh, at Bonnie's at 10 a.m. I want to just extend a special invitation to you and say we would love to have you as we uh, sing, as we worship, and as we open up God's Word. Um, we are continuing to do uh, these online services as well for those uh, that um, for now want to, to continue to do this at home. And so uh, those are our two options. So grateful to be here with you opening God's Word. Um, I'll start with this. We, we live in a world that is obsessed with communication, don't we? Uh, we have uh, kind of in the ancient form of just the old-fashioned phone call, right, that uh, many of us had to, have had to reintroduce ourselves to during the pandemic of just picking up the phone and calling people. Uh, we have email communication. We have texting. We have all these new... I guess they're not so new anymore, but we've got social media forms of communication. We have Instagram, we have Facebook, we have Snapchat, which I'm not sure exactly what it is. I heard there's something called TikTok. I think that's what it's called. We have Zoom, which everyone is uh, all too familiar with right now. We have FaceTime, we have LinkedIn for professionals, we have Slack for inner organization communication, we've got television, we have radio, we have internet, we have billboards. We are a people obsessed uh, and crave communication. We love hearing from each other. We love listening to other people communicate about a myriad of different topics. And it's just ingrained in who we are. We cannot seem to get enough of new forms of communication. Um, and these are this, this sort of desire and this thirst, this seemingly um, insatiable thirst for endless forms of communication, uh, I believe, as we read the scriptures, comes out of the fact that we are made in the image and the likeness of God. Um, that we are formed in the very image of God. And this need for, for communication, this need to speak and be spoken to and to hear from others um, really comes from what we looked at last week. It builds upon that foundational idea that our God, our creator, uh, is a Trinitarian God. And meaning this, that the Godhead, God himself, uh, is in constant community and in communication with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We talked about this last week. And that is his essence. His very essence is communication. Uh, the Father and the Son and the Spirit communicate perfectly with one another. And you and I, being made in the very, in the very image of God, um, we desire this as well. We desire to 
hear from God. We desire to speak to God um, as we go to him in prayer. We desire to speak to one another because we're made in his image. And we have these same longings. And so we build relationship, all relationships, um, relationships with children, relationships with friends, relationships with family, relationships with our spouse, and our relationship with God is all built upon communication. Communication. And all of this is connected, this very idea, this is connected to the doctrine that we are going to look at here this morning. And this doctrine is called the doctrine of revelation. The doctrine of revelation. And revelation is the doctrine that our God is a God who speaks. Our God is a God who communicates with us. Our God is a God who we can speak to. And he speaks to us. And he gives us clear understandings of who he is and what he's like. And he longs to hear from you and I, his children, the doctrine of revelation. Now, first, let's ask some questions. What is revelation? Now, revelation, by definition, is God's means by which he speaks to you and I, humanity. Now, um, one of the very first things that we see in the opening pages of our Bible, when you crack open Genesis chapter 1, we read in Genesis chapter 1, no less than 10 times, quote, God said, end quote. Uh, so we learn from the very outset, the very beginning of our Bible, the Genesis, the Genesis sim simply means the beginnings. So from the very beginning, the created world, the things that God made, the Bible speaks of our God as a God who speaks. And he is a God who continues to speak. And so this is huge for us um, in how we come to know God. Because without God himself speaking to you and speaking to me, we would never know what he's like. Now, the opposite of revelation, the opposite of God speaking and telling us what he's like is speculation, right? Now, speculation is the human effort to, to sort of guess what God is saying or what God is like or what he might say or what he would say or how he might want us to behave or how he might want us to approach him. That's speculation. And speculation about God is rampant. Um, that finds its footing in philosophy. Uh, that finds its footing in a lot of modern day um, spirituality right? Where just anyone can kind of create a podcast and speculate about the things that are spiritual and that would be most helpful to you in communing with the spiritual world and the spiritual forces. That's speculation. Revelation is the opposite of that. Revelation says that, hey, we don't have to speculate about what God might be like and what he might want for us and what he most longs for us to become and be and pursue. Uh, our God is a God of revelation, meaning he speaks and he tells us who he is. He tells us what he does. He tells us how we can have a relationship with him. And he now then invites us because of his revelation 
to speak back to him through what he calls prayer. Uh, it really is incredible. Um, now, as we sort of dig into this idea of the revelation of God, the doctrine of revelation, the Bible speaks of two different categories of revelation. So if you're a note taker, these would be helpful to know. The first form of revelation that the Bible talks about is known as uh, general revelation. Um, and the second form of revelation is known as special revelation. So the Bible speaks of both of these, general revelation and special revelation. The first general revelation is, it means this, it's, it's general, it's available to everyone. It's, um, it's available to all people at all times, to all cultures, to all places, right? And it's general in that uh, it does reveal a great deal about God, but it does not give us the specific name of God. It does not give us specific understanding of who Jesus is and what God has done for us specifically, like Christ coming as a man and dying in our stead. Um, so we have general and special. Now, there are at least three places that the Bible speaks of this general revelation. Um, Romans chapter 1 speaks of this very plainly. Romans chapter 1 uh, verses 19 through 20 says this. Um, the Apostle Paul talking about general revelation says, For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power, his divine nature, have been clearly perce perceived ever since the creation of the world, in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. So the Bible says, Paul's saying, that when we simply look out at the created world, when we look at uh, the grass, the air, the water, the world, humanity, people, we clearly understand that there is a maker. Our, the intricate design of things in our created world point to and show us clearly there is a God because of how things are designed, how we are formed, how we are created. And so general revelation, like the psalmist talks about, um, are things of God being revealed in nature. Um, the psalmist says that even our bodies are fearfully and wonderfully made. Um, just looking at the attention to detail given to the, just the human body alone shows us that there is a God in heaven who has made us and formed us. The complexity of the human body and the systems in which we are able to live and operate and move and feel and taste and see and touch, the very fact that our bodies heal themselves when we're cut, when we're hurt, that they regenerate, points to the fact that we are made by a maker and creator God. Um, that we are made for pleasure, for life, for joy, and for experience. The fact that we love the taste of food, right? That that's a, even an experience and that can bring us joy points to the fact that we were made by God. Um, 
And so other, so, so that's one form of, of general revelation, just the, the created world, our natural bodies, the fact that the intricate systems and how we're made, other forms of general revelation are God's providence, meaning his active care of the world. So that God is not just removed himself from the world, but he watches over and he enters in, that he, his active care and providence over all things that happen is a general revelation, that God is present in our world and uh, the fact that we um, have the very care of God. Another, another sense of general revelation, I won't get too deep into providence, that's a whole other sermon of it in and of itself, but is our internal conscience, right? And so it's meaning that even those who are not Christian, even those who don't follow the, the way of Christ and the way of God and follow and believe in the Bible, internally can see injustice and feel enraged by that. Uh, internally, when we, uh, when even non-Christians do something wrong, uh, feel guilt for those things, feel as if what they did was not right. That very sense, that sense of morality, that sense of uh, that which should be done and that which shouldn't be done, that both Christians and non-Christians both have to varying degrees, but that internal conscience points to the fact that we were made and there is an imprint in us, in our soul and humanity uh, that governs our sense of right and wrong and what should and shouldn't be done. Romans chapter 2, 14 and 15 talk about that if you want to go back and look at it. The Apostle Paul talks about this, this idea. That's all general revelation. So these are all things that we can grab and have as an understanding of God, yet not know him personally. These are just, this is the grace of God that he gives to all people, uh, that he gives to all humanity. And so the second category that the Bible teaches about is called special revelation. And special revelation is that it's, it, it's, it's special because the information about God becomes clear. And it's often made clear to an individual personally or to a group of people rather than just generically made, uh, made known. It's a special understanding or a special revealed truth to the individual or to a group. Now, do we see this in the Bible? Yeah, we do. We see three examples of special revelation. So the first, we see supernatural occurrences talked about in the Bible. These are very special revealed truths, revealed understandings about God, the miraculous. We see this all the time in the scriptures. For example, we see it especially surrounding the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, this happened with Jesus' father, Joseph. He had a prophetic dream. So this is a special form of revelation that God showed Joseph something special and unique about who he was and what he was doing in the world to Joseph through this prophetic dream, telling Joseph not to divorce Mary, that Mary was faithful and that Mary was carrying the very son of God. 
That is an example of special revelation. The Messiah was coming by way of miracle. Another example that we see is, would be Mary herself surrounding the birth of Jesus, right? It tells us that the angel Gabriel himself comes to visit Mary and tells her that she would become pregnant by a miracle from the Holy Spirit of God. Now, this is very unusual. This is very specific. This is very special revelation about who God is. Now, another example that we see very clearly of special revelation is Jesus himself. So we have special revelation concerning his birth. We have special revelation concerning um, who would, who would uh, bring him into this world. And we have special revelation with he himself, Jesus, that the son, he is the actual son of God entering into human history. John chapter one calls this one the word of God made flesh. And so God in a very special way, the word of God tells us, speaks to us, the word of God made flesh through the person and the work and the life and the ministry of Jesus Christ. Um, Hebrews chapter one touches on this idea as well. Hebrews says that in previous times, uh, meaning before Jesus, God spoke to us through the prophets, and through the angels. But he has chosen now to speak to us most clearly through Jesus Christ, our Lord. That we get now a special revelation of who God is by looking at Jesus Christ. God is fully revealed in Christ Jesus. Colossians tells us that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. That God is invisible, he is spirit, but in Jesus, in the coming of Jesus, um, God reveals himself clearly. So if you want to know what God is like, if you want to know how God acts, if you want to know uh, the mercy of God, the grace of God, the power of God, the, um, the countenance of God, the heart of God, look at Jesus and we get to see it all. Um. Now, another form of special revelation that 2 Timothy tells us is that all Scripture is breathed out by God. So, um, the three forms of special revelation that we see is the miraculous, miraculous occurrences, Jesus himself, the Word of God made flesh, and the Bible. These are special forms of revelation that show us who God is and what God has done for us. Um, so all scripture is God-breathed, that God worked through the human authors to speak to you and I. God worked through the human authors that wrote this book, the revealed word of God, the revelation of God, um, they didn't go into some catatonic state and God like controlled their hand. God used their personality. God used their perspective. God used everything about them and ins divinely inspired them to write the revealed word of God and God breathed it out through human authors for you and I that we would know exactly what he is like.
So what are the scriptures? Um, if this is the revealed word of God, well, scripture just simply means writing. And when we're talking about written documents that are here in the Bible as the revelation of God, um, the word Bible uh, just simply means book. And so what we have is a, a collection of sacred writings, the scriptures, given to us in a sacred book that we call the Bible. And so when we say the Holy Bible, we're speaking about that that God has divinely inspired. Now, the Bible itself um, is a collection of books. It is a, almost a library of books. It is a collection of 66 books. The Bible, interestingly enough, is not put together in chronological or historical order. So if you were to read it and pick up Genesis and begin reading, you would, you would begin to see and pick up that the timelines don't follow chronologically or historically. Uh, but this book is categorized, our Bible is categorized uh, by genre, by genre of literature. And so you've got the very beginning, you have the law, uh, then you have the prophets together, then you have the poetic sections together, then you have the biographies of Jesus's life, then you have the letters to the church, and then you have apocalyptic literature about uh, the one day coming again of our Lord Jesus. And so when you pick up the Bible, it's like picking up a small library that are all revealing in unique, profound ways who God is. So the Bible is clear in its purpose. It is to reveal to us who God is um, in a very clear way. It is not a history book that covers every single um, nuance of history and science. That's not the objective of the Holy Scriptures. The Scriptures reveal to us who God is and point to us toward the Lord Jesus and his coming and his one day coming again. So the Bible includes 39 books of the Old Testament and 27 books of the New Testament, and they are written over the course of 1,500 years by roughly 40 authors. And this is incredible. Over this span, over this 1,500 years, 40 different authors, we have one central message. It's incredible. The books of the Bible were written in three languages, primarily um, Hebrew and Greek with a few small portions uh, in Aramaic. Um, this book is written from all over the known world from when it was written. Uh, we have books written in Africa. We have books written in Europe. We have books written in Asia. We have books written in the Middle East. So this is a multicultural global revelation of God. Uh, it is not written so that we might reflect a certain culture or bygone from the past. It is written for all cultures, for all people, for all times, to show all people who God is and what he's like. The Old Testament is a foreshadowing and an expectation of the coming Messiah. All the writings of the Old Testament are pointing and expecting and longing for the coming Messiah. And the New Testament is written all about the fulfillment of the Old Testament, meaning the coming of the Lord Jesus, 
the, the birth of this Messiah that came into the world in an unexpected way and welcomed in unexpected people into the glorious realities of the kingdom of God. And, and he, this Messiah, is the one that seeks and saves that which is lost. So, um, <clears throat> quickly, what do the scriptures say about themselves? Like, do the, does the Bible actually say about itself that it is divinely inspired, trustworthy, and shows us who God is. Because if the Bible doesn't declare that about itself, why should we even read it? Why should we even care about it? So here's a few examples of what the Bible says about itself. Um, the Bible says that nothing should be added or taken away from it. It says that in Deuteronomy. It also says that in Proverbs 30. Listen to these words. Proverbs 30, 5 and 6. Uh, the Bible says, every word of God proves true. He is a shield for those who take refuge in him. Do not add to his words, lest he rebuke you and you be found to be a liar. God's word says you can trust all of his words. Uh, don't try to add things into it that aren't there. Uh, because if you do, scripture says, You'll get rebuked and you'll be found to be a liar. Those are, those are some intense words. So we can trust the Bible as it is. The Bible says of itself it can be trusted. It says don't add anything to it. Scripture is sufficient. Uh, we're also told that the Bible is effective. It's not just wholly true, uh, but it is effective and it accomplishes a purpose. Isaiah 55, 11, God says, my word will not return void. It will accomplish exactly what I intend to accomplish. God's word is effective. We're told in Psalm 19.7 that God's word is perfect. Every word of God is perfect. We are not perfect, but God's word is perfect. It can be trusted. It's also <coughs> excuse me, a guide for our life. Psalm 119 says that uh, the word of God, the scriptures, the revelation of God in the word of God in the Bible is a lamp unto our feet, Psalm 19 says. It's a word picture of us walking in the darkness and then God's word comes and illumines our path where it was once very dark. So we can trust the Bible as we read it to show us the way that we are to flourish in life. God longs for us to have his word be a lamp unto our feet that you and I, as humans, can flourish in this world. And he shows us the way. And it's good. And it's right. And it's true. The Bible claims to be true. John 17, 17, Jesus prays for us. He says, Lord, sanctify them, meaning you and I, by the truth of your word. Your words are true. So the Bible is true. The scriptures are also to be obeyed. James 1, the brother of Jesus, says this about the words of God. Do not just listen to the word of God, he says, and so deceive yourselves. He says, do what it says. 
In other words, don't just read the Bible and deposit some information in your brain and do nothing about it. James says that is a worthless faith. He says, take it, read it, and put it into action. He says, obey it. Hebrews 4.12 says that the word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. And it penetrates to the joints and to the marrow and it exposes the very attitudes of our hearts. That's the word of God. That is the revelation of God. That means that the Bible is the way in which God speaks to us. And every time we open our Bible, we can trust that it is God himself showing us who he is and what he's like and him speaking. Lastly, Acts 17, 11, we see that the scriptures are the standard for all doctrine and teaching of the church. And that anything we believe is to be tested, the scripture says in Acts 17, against the scriptures. When you go to church, uh, be a part of a church that stands on, that rests on, that longs for uh, the word of God as its anchor and as our guide. Not just someone's cool, great, neat advice. Advice comes and goes, but the word of God remains and endures forever. The church is built on the Bible. That's why Paul says that the foundation is built on the words of the prophets and the apostles, the holy inspired writers of the Old Testament and the New Testament. One of them, the Old Testament, foreshadowing Jesus and the New Testament showing us the fulfillment of that foreshadowing with the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus. Now, all together, there's a doctrine that describes this understanding of our Bible. And it's and the, kind of the big seminary word for it is the verbal plenary inspiration of the Bible. And what that means, verbal plenary inspiration, means that every single word is inspired of God. Uh, another way that we, we don't hold this as a church, but some would say, well, we just kind of take the Bible and its general themes in its general idea that uh, we're to love one another is sort of all we need to take out of it. No, we believe that it is verbally every word uh, and every syntax and every portion of it in its original manuscripts are the inspired word of God, the verbal plenary inspiration of God given to us through human authors as divinely gifted by the Holy Spirit is the word of God and it is to be trusted not just an overarching idea. Jesus says this in Matthew 5, For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass away from the law until all is accomplished. Jesus says every period and every cross of a T will be accomplished by me. Every word, not just every general idea, every word. And therefore, every word matters. And if every word matters, we as God's people run back to this, to hear from God. He's given us his very revelation, his very truth. 
We learn what he's like. We learn what he wants from us. We learn how we are to be rescued into the kingdom of God through the Lord Jesus. And so what does this mean for us today? Uh, Well, this means at Providence North, we love the Bible. We love the word of God. Now, I've been studying, preaching, teaching, and loving the Bible for now 22 years since the Lord has saved me. I love the scriptures. Why? I love pointing people to the scriptures. Why? Because they reveal to me and they reveal to you when we read them who God is. Now, uh, let me make this clear. We don't worship the Bible. This isn't a sermon that says we worship the Bible. We read the Bible and we love the Bible and we uh, invest our time and teaching into it because this is where we learn of the God of the Bible whom we do worship, who is worthy of our worship. We would not know to even worship him if it weren't for the revealed scriptures. Where else would we learn that God loved us through Jesus? Where else would we learn that uh, we can be forgiven, that we can be saved, that grace can be dispensed to the undeserving if we would simply come to him with our empty hands of faith and Jesus, our Lord, in great mercy and kindness leads us to repentance and faith, saves us into a new family of God, gives us a new identity, gives us a new destination in heaven with the God above that we read about. We would never know any of those things without the revealed word of God. So, um, practically, how do you live then a biblical life? If this is really where we learn about God, how do you live a biblical life? A biblical life is one that receives Jesus as Lord. The entire Bible uh, is pointing to Jesus, the Old Testament and the New Testament. And a biblical life is marked with repentance when we sin and faith in Jesus to cover our sin and dispense grace to the very undeserving you and I. And then we rejoice as God's people and we worship our great God as revealed to us in the scriptures that we are counted as children of God and we have a good father that speaks to us that communicates to us. And so this deep, deep, deep longing for you and I uh, to have communication, to know God, to be able to talk to God, to have God talk to us is available to us through the reading of God's word and through communing with him in prayer after we know and learn what he's like. That's the biblical life. So we don't study our Bible for information. We dig into our Bible because we know it produces transformation in us. My whole life has been changed by the scriptures. All of my ministry, um, the last 20 years, have been because of what is written in this book. Um, We at Providence North stand on the scriptures. We will always stand on the scriptures. We will not... um, tip our hats to just simple self-help or clever, catchy tips to whatever ends we're wanting. The greatest end that we can achieve is God himself through our Lord Jesus. So that's why every sermon you hear preached 
at Providence North. Every worship song that we sing, all the prayers that we do, the events that we do are for the purpose of us growing in and trusting God and knowing God through our Lord Jesus Christ because the gospel is good news that we have a God who speaks to us and that came to us, that the word of God became flesh and dwelt among us. Everything good about our church is because of the word of God and his revealed character to us. And so I want that for you. I want you to love your Bible because in your Bible you meet God and you encounter the Lord Jesus Christ. And so this week, church, these are not doctrines that are old and outdated and... um, Uh, Just for academic circles, these doctrines are something that are precious to us, that inform our hearts and minds to know and worship and love more of God through Jesus, through his revelation in the word of God. Let's be a people uh, that live the biblical life. If you don't have a Bible, email us. We want to get you one. Um, If you don't know how to study your Bible, reach out to us. We want to get you in a group of people that will disciple you, that will encourage you, and that will walk alongside you to help know and love the God of the Bible through Jesus Christ, our Lord, our great Savior, who gives grace to the undeserving. Let's pray this morning. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is a lamp unto our feet, that without it we are in darkness, that without it we stumble, And we fall. And so, God, I pray that each one of us that are listening here today um, would open our Bibles and that, Lord, you would illumine our path. You would show us the way. Uh, You would even save some that don't yet know you through your revealed word as only you can through the power of the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ that you have revealed to us in your holy, inspired, divine word. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.